So this past uh, couple of weeks, I've been working on my house. It's been the project that would never end. Um, I basically, in short, uh, we decided, Leah and I decided to redo the front steps and the front stoop of our house. And the mason was working on it, and he pulled his back. And uh, you can imagine, if you're a stonemason, this is a very bad thing. Uh, he said, you know, this happens to me from time to time. And I said, well, okay. Well, then he comes back, and because he's trying to move with a um, hurt back, he drops one of the huge limestone slabs on the ground. And he's like, oh, this is another delay. He called in a favor, got one in quicker than he thought. And all this time, I'm preparing the, the wrought iron railings that go around, because I'm cheap and I don't want to pay money for it. So I'm grinding it down, I'm sanding it down, I'm spray painting it with rustoleum. And one day as I'm spray painting it, um, I notice things are getting dark. And I'm like, whoa, it's kind of early for you know, the sun to set. And you know, then I can't quite see the spots that I'm trying to paint. And I took off my safety glasses <laughs> and realized what had happened. The wind had carried the spray paint onto my glasses. And it wasn't getting dark. My glasses were getting dark and, and, and impeding my sight. Well, today we come to Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday of the church year. If you're familiar with the ecclesiastical church year, the church year starts in Advent next week. We start all over again. And you know, it was a long time before I understood what the church was trying to disciple me in. I'm kind of thick. And realized, someone pointed out to me, in fact, I didn't realize it, that the first half of the church year is all about Jesus' life, and the second half of the church year is all about the doctrines of the church and the work of you and I, the people. So maybe you've heard this before, or maybe you've figured it out, and you're less dense than me. But at the end of the first half of the year, we have a Christ the King type of Sunday. Can anyone think about what it is? Sometimes even the hymns will reflect the same theme. What is it? Not Easter, no. Keep going. It's the forgotten big feast. Ascension, yes. Ascension Day, Christ ascends to sit at the right hand of the Father, right? right before Pentecost, right before the unleashing of the Holy Spirit for the church to go do its work. And so here, that's, that, that's the end of the first half of the church year. And then at Pentecost, we start the second half and come to this point, right? Right before Advent. And what's the theme again? Christ is enthroned. Christ is King. Do you see that fact? That fact is not just a historical fact of Jesus' life, but it's also an important theological fact of what reality is. That Jesus Christ is King of the universe. And one day, as we sang, I love the hymn Brian selected as our opening hymn, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. That's quoting Scripture too, of course. So why does this matter? Well, because, as the psalmist put it, the Lord is king and present everywhere. Some of you might be familiar with Psalm 139. 
The psalmist asks, starting in verse 6, Where shall I go then from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I climb up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave, you are there also. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. It's a psalm that's often used at burial or funeral services because of the comfort that it brings. But it's also a comfort for we the living, for we that go on from time to time asking ourselves, what is going on in the world? So out of this all-encompassing truth of God's presence and God's reign, His right rule, I want to preach to you today on three things. Number one, the importance of seeing the King, as my first illustration may have clued you into. The importance of seeing the King. Number two, the triple comfort of knowing that He is King. The triple comfort of knowing that He is King. And number three, the hope that is to come. The hope that we have now of the things that are to come, rather. So let's talk about the Lord being King of time, truth, and indeed all creation. The first thing we have to admit on this subject is that we can't possibly know everything that God's kingship entails. But we see from natural revelation what theologians talk about when they, they talk about the order of the world, or logic, or mathematics, or that kind of thing, we see, we see God as an orderly God, and we see that kind of unclearly. But then very clearly, we supplement that, we believe as historic Christians, with the revelation of the Bible. The revelation of all that is true. What natural revelation can't tell us. What Jesus himself had to come down to reveal to us. I'll, I'll leave the natural revelation to the scientists, the artists, the poets, and the philosophers, where they have their place. But one of the poets, again, the psalmist, who wrote the psalm that we sang today, put it well. Of course, this is both natural and special revelation. Psalm 93, verses 1 through 3, we sung it. God is glorious. He is the beauty about him. The beauty, rather, is a beauty about him. And let's read it together. Because sometimes when we sing it, we actually miss it. Sometimes when we sing it, it stays with us. But look at the insert. This is page two in the insert, or it's in your order of service song. Psalm 93, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is king. He has put on glorious apparel. The Lord has put on his apparel and girded himself with strength. He has made the round world so sure that it cannot be moved. Ever since the world began, your throne has been established. You are from everlasting. And the psalmist, of course, goes on. But yes, he's saying God is glorious. The beauty about him, about his truth, about his might, about his strength, he's the Almighty, about his certainty, is a glorious thing. And testimony about that is true. There's so much packed in here. 
you could preach just on those three verses of that psalm. I won't. But can you think of a time when you were just overcome, perhaps by glory? You know, glory is one of those words that has kind of been relegated to religious use, I find. But it's not exclusively for religious use, right? What is glory? What is glory? Have you ever been bowled over by the glory of something? Or the glory of someone? Perhaps, you know, in a great church or cathedral, you were bowled over by the glory of the paintings and the, the gold leaf and, you know, the things that just you walked in and you're just hit with it, right? Or perhaps you've been in, the, in nature at the seashore or up in the mountains and you get a glimpse and it's just a perfect vision and the glory just hits you, right? You can think of your own experience. I'm sure you've had one. To have one is to be human, to realize that you're not all that, that there's a lot outside of you. The prophet Daniel sees the glory of God in the first lesson, and he tries to record it for us. But of course, this can't do it justice. Look at the first lesson, Daniel 7, 9 and 10. As I looked, the prophet says, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and his hair, the hair of his head, like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand, thousands served him. And then ten thousands, ten thousands stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. That is his vision of God's glory. God in his reality, as much as Daniel could behold. And here he's talking about God as the ancient of days. He's using poetry to talk about this God who stands outside of time, who is the master and Lord of all time, space, and creation, and yet interacts with His creation and loves His creation and loves you and me. This God, we continue to see, hands over dominion to someone. Look at verse 12. Actually, I'm sorry, that's a wrong citation. Let's look at verse 13, at the bottom of the page there. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Verse 14, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. 
What is the prophet Daniel seeing? He's seeing the Ancient of Days, God the Father, interacting with none other than Jesus Christ, who fully God and fully man can be called Son of God or Son of Man. Notice Scripture says one who is like the Son of Man. And God the Father is giving Jesus the Son all dominion, all authority, all power. Now what Daniel can't see, of course, is what comes in between. The cross. Jesus talks about this in the Gospel of John. Some Greeks come and they ask the disciples, we would see Jesus. We want to see this man. Jesus' answer to them is a prediction of his death and coming glory. This is in today's Gospel. It's in John chapter 12. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Father, glorify your name, he continues in verse 28. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The Lord of time, truth, and all creation is sent by the Ancient of Days as Jesus, as, a, as one who is like the Son of Man to earth. And His first glory is His offering of Himself up for creation. If you look at that chapter, the rest of it, Jesus goes on and talks about this. Now look with me at the Apostle John's writing in the Apocalypse, also known as the Revelation of St. John, our reading today. We read chapter 1, verse 1, and then skipping to 4 and 5. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. Skipping down to verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. You see, Jesus Christ is the witness as to who God is. He's also the firstborn of the dead through the resurrection. And he's the ruler of all kings and dominions, all things earthly and heavenly. This is the Son of Man that Daniel sees. And Daniel is seeing way ahead up to Jesus' enthronement as God glorifies him again. And the implication is clear. See the king while you have light. See the king while you have light. Jesus says this again back in John chapter 12, verse 32 through 36. He says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. 
He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. The first glorification. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? John 12.35 So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. So you see, Jesus is not just this Son of Man, but this light of the world. As we go into Advent, we're going to talk about this so much. That God's love for us is so much that He pierces the darkness of our world and comes to a people enslaved in darkness and in sin. Before you have a relationship with Jesus, you are slaves. You are slaves. You are utterly stuck to your own, in your own passions, in, in, the, um, in the priorities of our world. But Jesus has come to free us from that as part of his kingship. Again, look at our Revelation passage, chapter 1, verse 5. We continue a sentence, right? And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so Jesus' blood, his sacrifice on the cross, gives us this triple comfort. Number one, that we have freedom from a punishment that we so justly deserve. That we have freedom from the punishment that we so justly deserve. That God's divine judgment will not fall on us because of Jesus' sacrifice. Number two, that freedom from our adversary, the devil, who enslaves us with sin. That we have the comfort of knowing that we're not stuck under the devil's heel anymore. That we're not slaves anymore. And number three, freedom from untruths, half-truths, lies, confusion, and everything that leads us into sin. That we're given a deep knowledge as God's own sons and daughters, and as Revelation says, as priests. Now let me ask you, what is a priest? There's lots of complicated answers. But think about this. Primarily, a priest represents the people to God, and God to the people. And what Jesus, what Revelation here is saying is that you in Jesus are part of a kingdom of priests. To be part of that kingdom is to be free from those first two things, but also to know the truth, for the truth will set you free. And this affects us individually, right? Those things that you say or that you do, or that you don't do, those things where you miss the mark, Jesus' blood has covered them and covers them even now. And they will eventually be restored as peoples, 
the darkness and divisions between individuals, races, tribes, and nations that are caused by lies, false beliefs, inflamed by the devil, which seem such a reality now, are eventually going to be abolished, for they are not the final reality. Look again at the restoration that Daniel predicts, prophesies rather, in Daniel 7, verse 14 this time. So our first reading again. And to him, that's the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. You see, the deceits, the lies, the things that seem so real in our world and the demonic behind it are all going to be vanquished. Now once again, we're looking at Daniel and Revelation as bookends. Look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, says St. John, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so. Amen. Why will the tribes wail? Because they were so wrong. Because they were so wrong. Because today's dominions, today's powers, are so off. Even those that are closest are way off. And those who do not see and embrace the kingdom of God and Jesus alone will have great sorrow because of the piercing truth of God's goodness and His embodiment in Jesus. That, that they'll wail because of what they see, bowled over by His gloriousness. For by His blood comes restoration and entrance into a kingdom that is without end. So here's the third point. The hope that is to come. And the challenge. For the hope is also a challenge. You know, every week in the Nicene Creed, we look, we say these words. We'll say them again today. We look for the resurrection of the dead, and lots of, ourselves will cross, lots of us will cross ourselves at that point, right? Because that's a symbol, that's a physical gesture of reminding ourselves that though this body perish, I will be raised from the dead. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. The hope in things to come, yet unseen, is a difficult thing. I don't want to lie to you and tell you that it's not. All of us struggle with it to some degree. Repeatedly in the Gospels, Jesus tells the disciples about the future so that they can remain firm and stand steadfastly. God has given today's readings to the church to do the same because He knows we need to hear this. We need to hear this again and again. And the challenge for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is to keep his, the Christian rather, his or her mind and heart fixed on that last statement of the creed as we go around in daily life. Jesus says in today's Gospel, my kingdom is not of this world. So why do we invest so heavily in something that's not his? This is not to say that we do not use our resources here to make this world a better place, 
and to serve people whom God loves. But as Christians, so often our glasses get darkened. And we make this reality of what we see here, which is a warped reality, the reality of our life, our priorities, our time, our talent, our treasure. It's a huge mistake because what it does is it hurts us in our faith. There's a good exercise that I would give to you this week about things that you do, and yes, it's true, you can drive yourself crazy if you're trying to be super intentional about everything. So I'll put that caveat on it. But ask yourselves from time to time, how does spending on this, how does doing this, How does saying this, whatever this may be, invest in the kingdom of God? Put more simply, am I investing in the kingdom of God or in the kingdom of this world? And I'm not talking just about money here. I'm talking about what you think, what you believe, how you love people. The challenge comes because we're all called to believe and act and speak in accordance with an eternal kingdom, with a dominion of Jesus Christ that will not end. And we lose sight of it so easily. So friends, I bid you, don't lose sight of the kingdom. Why do we have church calendars? to help remind us that time itself is the Lord's, as we are His. To remind us that those things await us in heaven, which St. Paul says, No eye has seen and no ear has heard, nor has the mind of man imagined. That heavenly new creation is the eternal kingdom, which begins here, but goes on forever. We can never dethrone Christ as king, but we can make it difficult to see him because of our choices. And it's difficult to bring others into the eternal kingdom when we're having trouble seeing it ourselves. So, see the kingdom. Pray that the Lord would keep your eyes clear. Lo, he comes. He will come one day to judge and to his kingdom will have no end. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.